Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Nathan Herndon. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app or website for ways to give. Good, I always hate to break up the, up the fun and the, the loving on one another. Such, such a great thing to see. Well, happy Resurrection Day, everybody. Great being with you. What'd you think of the choir? There were, yeah. Good. I just want to welcome you all um, here. This is, uh, this is the highlight of the year for anybody who uh, loves and treasures Jesus with everything they've got. And so um, if, if you're wondering why is everybody so excited, it's because the message of, of uh, Christianity is, is one of life. And so um, it's actually when you're giving up your life to Jesus, um, you're not choosing death, you're choosing life. <laughs> uh, what we didn't realize was it was death before. It was never real living, and now it's life. And so people that are alive get weird. And uh, that's what I found at least. So just want to welcome you into that if you've been weirded out. Uh, there's a lot of weird people here, and, that's, and they're just alive. <laughs> so that's the thing. So um, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm one of them. And honestly, be honest with yourself, you're one of them too. So, uh, but uh, just love that the, the church of Jesus uh, does not have to look like perfection. Amen? So if you find yourself very imperfect like the rest of us, uh, you find yourself in the right place. So I just want to welcome you to, uh, to this place. And uh, let me just pray. I want to pray for your hearts for a second. Then I want to talk to you about food. Um, so let's just, let's just uh, actually, uh, steak actually. So, so Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this moment. We thank you that we serve a living Lord. And this morning, I just pray for the people here in this house, whether they've been following you for years or whether they have no clue what's going on. God, I just pray that they would sense your affection for their hearts in a new and tangible way, God. I pray that this would not just be a motion that we walk through, but this would be an actual real-life encounter with your heart. So we we welcome you, Holy Spirit, just to come and do that right now and to uh, take each one of us as we are and to make us more like Jesus, we pray. So, uh, so just uh, come and have fun with us and get to our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So uh, two weeks ago, uh, me and, uh, and a few of my friends, some of the staff and some of the people around here at Providence, we went to Fogo de Chao, did we not? All right. Um, and if you've never been to Fogo de Chao, it is a Brazilian steakhouse uh, in Baltimore. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's nowhere around here. We need one. If God has it on anybody's heart to start one around here, we need one. And Spring Grove, so bad. Uh, but, uh, but you have to drive to Baltimore to get there. And so Fogo de Chao, here's basically what happens is, is you walk in, there's a beautiful salad bar. It, it's worth going there just for the salad bar. But they're, they're trying to distract you from the meat with the salad bar. That's all they're doing. Um, because uh, Fogo de Chao, they bring meat on long uh, swords, basically. Uh, you, you feel like a man, even if you're a woman, you know, it's just like, you're like, just, your inner Viking comes out in, in, a, in a scary way. So, um, but they, they bring on, on, on metal rods, they bring meats of all sorts and all kinds. And, and so we were 
we went, and I had been there a few times uh, before. A few of the guys that we went with uh, had never been there before. But I remember walking in, uh, none of us, uh, you know, weighed under 200 pounds, you know? So we, we walked in, there was like eight of us, and I think everyone was scared. They were, they were running to the kitchen. They were like, okay, guys, we got some Vikings that just came in here. Uh, really prepare yourselves. And we were all, we were making sound, uh, you know, noises. We weren't speaking English. It was just grunts. Um, and uh, and we, we sat down. We did enjoy the salad bar quickly, but you have a card at Fogo de Chao, this little circle, uh, and you don't rest your drink on it. One side is green and the other side is red. Red is, is I'm eating my salad. Uh, green is go ahead and make my day, right? And it's like bring me all the meat that you can. So we all quickly flipped those cards to green. And we began um, uh, e eating meat uh, of, of various kinds. Uh, we, there was uh, uh, Parmesan pork. That was, actually, I'm not a, a pork eater, but that, I could eat that all day. There was, there was slabs of all kinds. Of, there's things were wrapped in bacon. Things were like sauteed in this. It, it was absolutely a wonderful experience. We, we, uh, uh, we actually didn't talk for five or ten minutes because we were just <laughs> eating it. And we were looking at each other's eyes. And literally, I, I think like tears were coming out. Like we were just like, this is wonderful. It. Actually, Dustin Madrin was there, and I didn't get his permission to share this, but <laughs> Dustin, are you here, man? I don't know. Where is he? he yeah, D Dustin uh, took authority of the whole table. He took leadership <laughs> of the whole table, and, and he exclaimed in one moment, he said, uh, he says, I was born for this. He was just like, and, and we were all looking at each other. We all knew deep in, in our, and the man part of our souls, we knew that the, 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 he was exactly right. So uh, the, uh, and uh, my brother Philip burst into a, a spontaneous praise song about Jesus. And no lie, there was, there's wonderful Brazilian music in the background, and he just used that as the backdrop to, yeah, something like, Jesus, 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 I love you so much. He was just worshiping Jesus because of all the, all the <laughs> meat. Now, now um, we, we, I, we did clean them out um, of, of, me, of meat at this place. It was a wonderful time. But I want to tell you this, all of this stuff, I don't know if you've ever been to like a, a higher-end steakhouse um, uh, like this one. I want to tell you, what was present was beautiful slabs of meat, okay? Let me tell you what was not present. Does anybody know what I'm about to say? You know, it was, when you go to a steakhouse like this, do you know what is not there? Anybody? I don't know if someone just said sauce, but so sauce is the right answer, all right? When you go to Hosses, you have sauce, all right? But when you go to Fogo de Chao, there is no sauce, all right? <laughs> There's just meat. I know some of you are grabbing your chest and like, no, 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 I need my A1, or I, I need my, you know, sweet baby rays. And like, I, I'm down with that on some things. But when you go to a, a high-end place like this, um, you, you do not use sauces. Now, um, as these people are bringing out these choice cuts of meat, I, I, wanna, I want you to imagine for a moment that all eight of us Vikings sitting around the table crying because of the goodness of it. I, I, I want you to imagine for a second that we actually rejected the meat and we asked them for sauces and bowls. And when they came offering us what they are known for, that we actually rejected that and just made a big deal of sauce. I just want, I, just, just imagine that for one second. Can you, can you imagine how serious it is? A, a, bunch, a bunch of mighty strong, large men come in we're, we're to, to a, a Brazilian steakhouse. We don't eat the meat. We just settle for the sauce. Can you imagine how silly that would be? Can you, can you imagine that? 
Now, the reason I'm bringing this up today is partly to make you hungry, and I think we're all going to go feast, and there's, there's never a better day to eat than the, the day that we celebrate that Jesus was raised from the dead. You need to go eat some really great stuff. I don't care what it is. Just do it in Jesus' name, right? But here's, here's why I'm talking about this. is because the, the message of the church, okay? Let's transition from steakhouses to the church. The church is even better than steakhouses. The dream of God's, of God's church, the church that Jesus died for and was raised for, the dream of God's church has promoted a message that is a sauce message, okay? It is, it is, a, it is a dressing. It is a garnish. It is, it is something. It's not, it's not unimportant, but it is just not the main thing. Little to do, well, little to do, the, the message of the church has little that the church has, has been known for. If you just think, if you go out and just ask someone on the street, what is the church known for? And usually it's, it's backbiting and division, it's judgmentalism, it's telling people they're going to hell. It's all of this stuff. I'm telling you this, those things, you know, the backbiting and judgmentalism, that's, that shouldn't be found in the church, you know? But these are, we talk about garnishes instead of the meat. The message of the cross that Jesus died for, and that the message, of the, uh, the, the message that the church, though, is, is known for presenting has little to do with the worth of Jesus, has little to do with the value of Jesus. When is the last time you, you saw the church weeping over the value and the worth and the majesty and the treasure that Jesus just is for them, right? The, the message of, of the, that the church is known for has little to do with the beauty of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus, the grandeur of Jesus, the excellence of Jesus, or the, the compassionate heart of the Father. It is mostly, listen, I know I'm coming in strong, but there's, there's grace for this. I know I'm coming in strong. But it has mostly been a club of people that arrogantly celebrate how right they are. Yeah. All right? And I want to tell you that, that there has been a distaste in the mouths of people. And I wanna tell you that distaste is good because if you've heard the church amplifying something as higher than Jesus, higher than the Father, and focusing on something else, I'm telling you, that is a sauce message. That is not the message. That is not the steak message. That is not the message that you sell everything to possess. All right? And I think the world is wanting, like, tell us the truth. Tell us what is worth my whole life. Tell us what is worth my whole existence. Tell us some good news. Don't, I, I don't want to just be competing with the next guy or gal. I actually want to know something life-changing. I want to know something central to my soul. I want to latch on to something that I was born to know, born to give my life for. And I want to tell you guys this, that the message of the cross, the message of Christianity, the message that Jesus died on the cross to purchase and then, then ra was raised to institute this message is simple, but it will cost everything. It's this message that we can have and know and enjoy God. You've got to hear this. You've got to hear this. The message is not first and foremost, you can escape hell, use Jesus to get to a family reunion on streets of gold. That is the message the church has preached for so long, but it leaves Jesus out. Many of the gospel messages that we've preached, if Jesus wasn't in the heaven that we kind of picture, we'd be fine as long as Aunt, you know, Frankie is there, right? 
As long as there's a family reunion there and as long as I can finally be at peace, we'd be fine without Jesus. But the message of the cross is Jesus is the center. Jesus it didn't just give you life. He is your life. This is the message of the cross. This is, this is the, the beauty. And I'm, I'm telling you this. You don't get Jesus by performing for him. He is just, he is just not, he's, he's not looking for performances. You don't get Jesus by being good for him. You can get to know him, be reconciled to him, enjoy him by being a good boy or a good girl. You get to know him because everything that, you get to have him because everything that stood in the way of of a relationship with him has now been paid for and nailed to the cross. So I just want to tell you is that the good news is this. Here's the meat. We get to know, love, adore, be in relationship with, enjoy God. You know, Peter said this in the book of 1 Peter. He said that Christ suffered for all things that he might bring us to God. All right? And so a, a reconciliation between you and God has always been the goal. Relationship with your heavenly father. This has always been the goal. And the question uh, at, that, uh, that we have to answer that goes to humanity, I'm going to be asking this later, but the question that we have to ask is not do I want to escape hell, not do I just want to go to heaven, but do you want God? It really comes down to what you desire. Do you want God? Do you want to know him? Do you want to enjoy him? Do you want him to be in your life? Do you, do you see him as more valuable than anything else you had? You know, there's stories in the Bible when Jesus is, is describing what, the, what his kingdom is like. He says, he says, my kingdom's like this. There's a man out in the field. This is Matthew 13. I'm not going to read it. I'm just telling you. I'm going to turn to Luke 15 if you want to. But uh, Matthew 13 says, Jesus is saying, this is what my kingdom is like. There's a man that was in a field, and he stumbles over some treasure. And he finds that his treasure is worth selling everything that he had to, uh, to obtain the field. And so what he does is in his joy, he goes home. He, he liquidates all of his assets so he can have the field, all right? That's what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is like a man who, had, who was in search of a pearl of great price. And he had lots of smaller pearls, but one day he actually finds a pearl of great price, so he sells all of his smaller ones so he can have the greater one. That's what the kingdom is like. That's what repentance is saying everything that I, could, I ever accumulated throughout the course of my life as worthless in comparison to Jesus in the, in the kingdom. You see? All right? So I want to talk a little bit, though, about, about uh, the reality that, that the Jesus message is not just that Jesus gives you a better life. The Jesus message is that he can be your life. And the kingdom is treasure, is treasure that you find that your heart comes alive to and everything else is small potatoes compared to it. Potatoes sound good too, don't they? What would that mean? Do they not? I talked, uh, though, that, uh, about two dangerous perspectives that actually keep us from God. And, uh, and we're going to go to Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11, going to verse 32. Uh, there's uh, of the, the five passages in the scriptures that have absolutely changed my life forever. This is one of them. Uh, it's been two years since I spoke on this about. I, I did speak uh, in 2020 on the, on the older brother here. This is the parable of the prodigal son. But it's been about two years. And what I find right now, and I just want you to just begin to contend for the hearts of the people sitting next to you right now in prayer. But what I find is, is uh, people get very, very angry at this passage. All right? Because the message that people want to hear, especially in this area, the message that people want to hear is that God is a God of justice, and when you do something wrong, he's going to make you pay, and then you can be a servant in his kingdom, but that's about as good as it gets. For some reason, people love that message. 
But the, the second that a sinner comes in the doors and you want to slap a ring and a robe on, on them and call them a daughter or a son, people get very aggressive, all right? People love a message that makes sense to them, that you have to pay for what you've done wrong, but that people are adamantly opposed to a message that says, Jesus paid for what I did wrong, and now I get to receive blessings, though I don't deserve it, yeah. all right? So this is that message, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna read the whole thing this morning. I know it's Easter, but I'm not gonna rush us out of here, all right? Listen to this. This is Luke chapter 15, starting with verse 11. And this is, uh, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and the Pharisees are angry at him because tax collectors and sinners are hanging out with him. Tax collectors are people that work for Rome, but make, uh, get rich off the backs of their own Jewish people. So they were despised and hated, and Jesus is hanging out with them. It made no sense whatsoever. And the Pharisees are angry at Jesus. You know who's not angry at Jesus? The sinners hanging out with Jesus. And so Jesus tells this story. He says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had, when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. And he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with pods that pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, or he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he, and he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and is alive. He was lost and is found. I want to talk about two, per, two perspectives that actually keep us from the real meat of the message of Jesus. And the first perspective is the prodigal son perspective. Okay, that first half of this passage, we read all about that. We understand that there is a, uh, what we know is the younger son is who we call the prodigal son. We call him prodigal because he, he left home. And basically, when, when he asks his father to give him the, his share of the property, he's going against cultural norms. Norms in the days, you, you don't get 
that until your father dies. And so basically, when the younger son is saying, give me my share of the property, give me what I have coming to me, he's basically saying two things. He's saying, I want what you have more than I want you, is what he's saying. But the other thing that he's saying is, I wish you were dead, is what he's saying. All right? So what, what happens, though, is we've got a gracious father here, and the father gives the younger son, the prodigal son, what he has coming to him early, okay? And what the son does with it is he doesn't wisely invest it, and he, and he doesn't turn a little bit into a lot. He travels, and he goes to a distant country where verse 13 says that on his journey, he, he squandered his property on reckless living. Now, it's not super specific here what that reckless living is, but we can just imagine he's not being wise with it. He's accumulating friends that just love him and want him for his money. And, and then he runs out, and he finds himself feeding pigs and wishing he could eat what they eat. Have you ever seen what pigs eat, by the way? It's not nice. It's not good looking. And that he was in such a low place, such a broken place. After he got what he want, he got what he wanted. Wanted my dad to die? I want what he's got. And so I, here's what I've done with it, and here's where I am, all right? And now he's gotten what he wants, and he's no better than pigs, all right? So what, is, what happens um, to someone with this perspective is, is basically you're believing a lie that says this, that there's something or someone else better than God for me, okay? And it's the kind of Christianity that you see God as a tool to get what you want, but you don't actually see God as the one who actually satisfies you. It's, it's you use God, hey God, give me gifts so I can do what I actually want with your gifts, but it is blind to the beauty of the Father, blind to the glory of the Father, realizing that, that uh, not realizing who he's actually around and who is able to give gifts, realizing that the gifts of the Father can't even compare with the Father himself. And so these people actually believe, they don't see the, the beauty and the value and the, the wonder and the grandeur of the Father. And so they're believing, and this is what the enemy is, has been doing since humanity existed, saying God is trying to keep something from you. There's real life, there's real joy, there's real stuff out there, but it's apart from him. God's trying to, God doesn't want you to eat the apple because he doesn't want you to experience joy and fun. He's trying to hold back on you. And here, this is this lie, still manifest in hearts. Don't we know? Haven't we been there before? Haven't we talked about following Jesus as, man, I wish I could do that, but I can't because I'm, I'm a Jesus follower. And then we just kind of skulk off and, and, and feel depressed for some reason, never really seeing how great God is. So there's something out there that will satisfy my heart more than my dad but here's the other thing that happens is that, is that you, you're, I want you to tell you this, that your desire to have a heart that is satisfied or a heart that is happy is not evil. Many times in the church, we have actually tried to push down desire, and desire is not the enemy, all right? What is the enemy is the small loves, the second-rate loves that we try to fulfill our desires on. C.S. Lewis says this. Here, here's the problem with humanity, that we've settled for making mud pies in, sl in the slums instead of enjoying a holiday at the sea, 
all right? So the problem with desires, we are desire factories and God made our hearts to desire, but he made our hearts to, to fa factor desire that ultimately culminates on him. And what happens is when these desires go and then we don't recognize God as the one who would satisfy those desires, we lay waste our lives and hurt other people. Um, C.S. Lewis also said this, that if you find in your heart desires that nothing on earth can fulfill, the logical conclusion is this, you were made for another world. Now this is, this is the reality, that our hearts desire and that is actually a God thing. That is a kingdom thing. But God has created your heart to be satisfied by him. By him. And the prodigal son here, the younger son, just didn't see the beauty of his dad. And just didn't see the beauty of the father. And thought that he could have a happier life apart from his dad, even if that means my dad is dead. Now, here's another thing, though, about the prodigal son. He, when he comes to his senses, and I love that part, when he's laying with pigs, he's starving to death. He says, even the servants at my dad's house, even his paid staff, they have more than I have, and I'm my dad's son. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back, and he develops a speech and everything. He says, I'm worthless, I'm unworthy, I don't deserve, just treat me like a slave. And that, when you find people talking like that in the church, you make them Sunday school leaders, you bring them on staff, you say, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. All this false humility sounds great in the church, but it's actually atrocious theology. For, for blood-bought saints, it's atrocious theology. It's not who we are. People, do you know, the servants in the kingdom are angels, and angels wish that they could be like us. You know that? Read your Bibles, you will. All right? So, but here's the idea, though. When the son is coming back, basically, his, you know what his speech is saying? Let me work off my sins. Let me work off my offense. Let me just be, let me just have some bread and stuff. I'll be one of your servants. I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. So let me just work off my sins in the servant's quarters. So after wasting his inheritance in a short period of time, he says, treat me as one of your hired servants. And the son does not understand who he actually is. All right? So don't you love what the father does? And we'll get to that in a moment. But don't you love that the father says, if you're back, I don't care what you've done. He doesn't ask about, does he have any change left? He just says, kill the fattened calf. All right? Now, but, so, so, but uh, I have to work off my sins. Um, and every, have you ever felt like that before? You ever been there before? Somebody shout at me. I'm getting lonely. Um, so I have to work out my sins. And then something is better than God. Those are two things that actually keep you from the heart of the Father. But let's talk about the older brother for a second because the older brother is actually more dangerous than the younger brother. The younger brother at least came home. He had bad theology, but at least he came home. All right? The older brother never comes back to the Father. Okay. The older brother, the older brother uh, perspective is most dangerous. You, you see it in verses 25 to 31, but it's, it's most dangerous because, listen, the older brothers have righteous opinions. Older brothers have some good works. Older brothers are busy. Older brothers are at least respectable. Older brothers are exemplary in lifestyle, maybe, depending on what, on what crew you're rolling with, right? But older brothers are still alienated from the father's heart. Here's what makes it worse, though. They don't know it. They are more lost than the younger brothers. 
and they don't know it. They don't know it. They look found, maybe, but they're actually lost. They stand and they judge other people, but they haven't actually partaken of the Father's heart. This is, this is why. This is, this is craziness. An older brother perspective. Listen, let me break them down for you. An older brother perspective gets angry over grace and forgiveness. Older brothers, they, they hate Grace and forgiveness. You see the older brother like, your son's done God knows what with your money and you killed the fattened calf and he didn't give me a goat. And the father is offering himself. He's, he says in verse 31, son, you're always with me. In other words, wasn't I enough for you? But the, in the older brother's world, the father is not enough, just like the younger. I wanna use you to get what I actually want and the father is not that. So the the older brothers get angry over grace and forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. Who did the prodigal son, who did the younger son sin against and wish was dead? Anybody? The father, all right? Let me ask you another question. Who is full of compassion in this parable? The father, okay? The father has compassion for the one who wishes he was dead and squandered all of his wealth, all right? Now, let me ask you another question. Who is full of anger, though? It's the older brother. The older brother was not sinned against. He just doesn't like the looks of this situation. Just think about that for a second, guys. He is angry about something that wasn't even directly related to him. He is standing on a hillside, casting his opinion on people, but there is no love to be found in the older brother. An older brother refuses to take part in a coming home celebration because love and extravagant grace make absolutely no sense to them. It actually makes them angry. You hear this? And how many of us have heard of Christianity that has this sauce on it? Right? God's so angry at you. You just need to be glad that you, you know, you got even glanced your direction for a second, that Jesus, Jesus rose himself from the grave. The least you can do is you can get out of bed. <laughs> All right? And it's this kind of perspective that sees sin in others, but is absolutely oblivious and blind to sin in self. Well, here's another thing, though, that the older brother, in this older brother perspective, he gets angry over grace and forgiveness, but he, he weaponizes his goodness. You ever known somebody like this, right? <laughs> this is a scary person. Where you actually used your goodness, you use your obedience, you use your quote unquote service to God against God and others. So this is what it can look like at home. It can look like this. I cook for you. I clean for you. I do everything around here and you don't do anything for me, right? I, I work my tail off night and day to put a roof over your heads and food on the table and so it looks like at home, you know what it looks like at church? I've done everything you've ever asked me and you didn't give me the position I wanted. But were you serving for a position or were you serving for Jesus, right? I've served here for 10 years and you never. And it goes on and on and on. There's a, there's a billion examples of this where you actually take what you were doing and your motives are exposed. You've weaponized your goodness. And your goodness was actually not good. It, it, it was of evil, selfish intent to actually get something other than just lovesick serving and dancing with the dad. All right? 
And when we weaponize goodness, we actually, we're, what we're actually doing is taking all of our service, all of our lab, uh, labors, all of our quote-unquote acts of love and using it all to say, you owe me. You owe me. And so you use this weaponized goodness to control people, which reveals the heart and the motivation of all of the service. And the heart of the older brother was never set on the father, was it? The heart of, of the older brother was set on something besides God. So one of the things I want to encourage us to do is to uh, repent of our goodness, where our goodness has turned to self-righteousness. You know, at the cross, we don't look at the cross and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm so much like Jesus, right? At the cross, at the, Jesus is goodness is all that counts. He's good for us. It's a message of the cross. But I wanted to say one more thing about the older brother is that the older brother actually hates the law that he is obeying, okay? You see, in, in, the, in the father, I love that, that the father to the younger son runs down the road as the son is coming home, right? Don't you love that? That means he was watching for the son. He was watching for the boy every day. I don't know how long the, I don't know how long the younger son was gone, but let's just say it was nine months to a year. Every day watching down the road, and when he's come back, he's running. What he's doing is he's not spanking. This is what we this is the this is the sauce we preach in church. Spank him, punish him, let him know what they've done is wrong. You can't don't set him up for failure for the future. You know, we gotta. But what the what the father does, he actually cries, he falls on the son's neck, and he just rolls around with his boy kissing him. All right. Now, but he he goes, we've got a father who pursues, okay? And so he pursues the younger son, but don't miss the fact that he's pursued the older son. And when the son won't come in and dance with his dad, the father goes out to the field and pleads with the older son, join me with the dance. Join me in the celebration. And, and the response of the older brother is, I served you. Um, it, the, if you, if you, you could translate this, uh, you know, I slaved for you. So the implication here is I slaved for you against my will. I was performing. I, you asked me to do all these things. I didn't love you enough to do it. I was just trying to buy my time till you die so I can have what you have, so, so I can have what's coming to me. I'm performing for you. This is, I'd never wanted to do what you're asking me to do. I'm just doing it because I've decided that my posture in this life is to slay for you long enough until you're just not in my way anymore. Now, the older brother, he, he hates the law that he's obeying, you see. I, can I tell you this? That sin is not, it has, sin has nothing to do with performance. Sin is not underperforming. God is not asking us to put on a play for him. And I like this person, I like this person, I like this person, but the, the rest, they're just not good enough for me. Sin is not underperforming. It's not missing a mark when you're aiming at a target, okay? Sin is not underperforming. Do you know what it is? It's underpreferring. It's there's other things in my life that I prefer over and above God who I was made for. Psalm 8410 says this. Here's, here's what someone who prefers God over everything talks like and feels like. The, the psalmist says in Psalm 84:10, a day in your courts, one day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. You hear that? I can, I can think of, of lots of elsewheres that I would enjoy. And here this psalmist says, I, you take all thousand elsewheres and you hold them up to just one day in your presence, 
I'll take that one day all my life. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather, listen to this, so here's, here's the preference. I would rather, you know, what, you know what my heart really wants? You know what my rather is? You know what is better to me? You know what is better than anything else? Here's my rather. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. Implication is in, in, close to the presence of God. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. And, and that implication is whatever happens in wicked tents, all of that compared to being a doorkeeper near God, my rather is nearness with God. I would rather. Now, this is, this is, the, and what happens, guys, and what happens in the church all the time is people who have actually never really encountered the Father's love try to follow him. And this is what happens is you, you create rules and stuff that God was never in. And you, you, you create a religion where you talk about God, but you've never actually experienced his heart up close, right? And so there's all this stuff, and it's people in positions and stuff that are just looking down on you and telling you what you're not, all right? And so that, that, is called, that is called man-made religion. And most of the, the, the church hurt that we, that we experience are people, in my opinion, that never even really knew the Father's heart, never even really wanted the Father's heart, but tried to lead other people, right? Now, let me tell you about the Father. The Father, when you look at the Father, I love what the Father sees. Do you know what the Father sees in, the, in this passage? He sees distance between his sons. You recognize that? Never once is the father like pointing out flaws and failures in lives. We do that, right? We do that. But the father does not do that. What, what the father does is, is the, when he sees distance between his sons, he, he pursues and closes any gap necessary. He'll let his son go, but as soon as the son's coming back, called faith, right back, right back. I think my father's house is better than this pigsty that I'm in. I think I'm going to go back. Man, the father rushes down that row. Men back in this day, especially older men like this, this father, is he, he's breaking all the cultural rules. Because God doesn't go by worldly cultures. He goes by kingdom culture, right? You know what happens in the kingdom? Fathers run to sons. And in, and in the kingdom, the, the, this dad, when he sees that there's a son coming home, he closes the, the gap in pursuit, and he hikes his clothes up, and he tears down the road. And do you know what he does? It, it's when he finds his boy, and after he is, gets off the ground, after tackling him to the ground and crying and weeping and celebrating and loving, and then the son starts his speech that is full of bad theology, and the, and the father interrupts the son's stupid speech, and he says, whoa, hold on, hold on. All this slave talk, this is nonsense. This is not my heart. This is not how I lead my house. This is not how we do it around here. Do you know how we do it around here? Hey, Angels, bring a ring, bring a robe, kill the fattened calf. This boy needs shoes on his feet. My son was lost. Guess what? He's found. God cares about you being found. He, 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 that, that's the meat. That is the meat. What is the sauce is all the things that you've done. See, it's just the cross beats every demonic, stupid, hellish thing you've ever done. The cross is paid for there. God doesn't have to rub your nose in it. That's called shame. And when, when the father sees the son, he closes the distance between the sons, but he also does it for the other brother. He's pleading with the other brother. Why can your heart not just open to your, 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 your calling, your calling, your brother, this son of yours. You're not even associating with your own brother anymore. What, do you, do you, don't you know that 
in this story, all the dad wants to do with the older brother is dance with him. This is it. He's not looking for performance. He's not. And I love the part that says, verse 31, son, you're always with me. In other words, son, the, the offer of my house is that you've got me. And anything that I've got is yours. But when you're, when you're blind to who your dad is, you can't enjoy what he's got because you're just waiting for him to be gone. He, he, the dad was just in his way. The, the older brother is just like, he's, this is, I, I, he, he's scrutinizing his dad. Son, you're with me. All that is mine is yours. But it was fitting to celebrate because in the kingdom, when lost or found, when, you know, in the kingdom, Jesus leaves 99 sheep to find one. That's how it works in the kingdom. The math is backwards. But so we've got a brother that was lost, but is now found. And I kill fattened calves over that. And I wish you'd come dance with me. But if you're going to stay out here on this hill with your opinions, I guess that's how it's going to be. What does the father feel? The father feels compassion. The father does not feel anger. The father does not feel upset. The father does not get out his calculator and say, well, I gave you this much. You have nothing else. So I get the, the father feels nothing but, but love in action for his son. Do you, God, do you hear this? The father feels for people that underperformed compassion. And then he pursues, he pursues, he pursues. This is what he does. He pursues, he pursues. And I just want to tell you, when you look at the father pursuing people on hills and down, down dark alleys, I want you to tell you, when, you, when you take a father who has two sons that both of them in different ways say, I wish you were dead, and then all he does is he comes after them with love and compassion. When you take this, I want to tell you that if you need any more evidence that God is better than anything and everyone, I would like you to show me one other person even close to like him. He's bitter. When the Bible says that God is holy, that means that he's just in a league of his own. There's no one like him. He's the most valuable. He's the most rare. He's the best. And Christianity is saying, the Father wants to know you. Do you want him? You can have he who is the treasure of the universe. This is the, you can have your dad back. Your dad, listen, your dad didn't leave in the kingdom. You did. And so here's what I would love to invite you to today. I would love to invite you to receive God, not as your taskmaster, not as your ticket, not as your example, not as, as just, you know, your, your, your step up, not as a person who's going to give you a, a smoother life. But I would love to invite you to receive God as your treasure by faith. I would love to see your hearts burst holy tears saying, oh my word, I've settled for mud pies when I could have had you. I'd love, I, I love our hearts, just, I, I love holy affection just to unleash in our hearts where we say, God, I haven't wanted you. I haven't wanted you. I want to want you. I want to value you. I just want to be in relationship with you again. This is what the cross is doing, my friends. Well, I, I would love you to start dancing with, I, I love that that young lady uh, got up on the, on the stage and danced. I, I felt like it was like a prophetic declaration over the house because what God wants to do is God's like inviting the dance. 
He's just like, yeah, let's celebrate, let's dance. Like I, if you saw me at the daddy-daughter dance, you know I have absolutely no moves whatsoever. I, I spin my daughters, that's all I do, but the, the father's got moves very relational moves, and he wants to teach them to you, and he just wants you all to enjoy one another. He wants to celebrate him in you. And what, this is what I believe the Father is doing today is he's not looking for, for good kids. He, he's, he's looking for kids that just want to join his heart and that just want to know him, that will dance with him. His, his focus is not on your imperfections. His focus is on his son's perfection that, that paid for all of your imperfections at the cross. Do you know that in John chapter 11, when Jesus is talking to two broken sisters, Mary and Martha, who are actually upset with Jesus that, that Jesus wasn't there when Lazarus dies. Because what they say, they say, Jesus, if you were here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. We, we know you, Jesus. We're friends enough with you. We know that Lazarus would not have died. And, and Jesus says, he said, he will rise again. And then they get very theological. We know he'll rise again at the last day. And Jesus is like, you, you, you still don't get it, okay? I am the resurrection and the life. Can I tell you this, guys? The resurrection is not an event. It's a person named Jesus. The resurrection is a man named Jesus. The God-man, Jesus Christ. And he's just offering himself to you. Say, do you want the resurrection? The, the question is not, do you want to be raised and go to heaven? The, the question is, do you want life with me, the resurrection? And so that is just a question you've got to answer. And if you want to uncork your whole heart and give Jesus everything you've got, like he's given, he's, he wants that. He, he, will, he will take your heart and your life and he will do deep things that you could never do on your own. But the, the promise is, do you want him? And Jesus asks Mary and Martha, do you believe this? And I think that is the question. Is your faith lining up with this one? Is, your, is, your, is, is the affection of your heart, do you want me? Are you going to trust me with everything else? But do you just want me? You know, I lost my, uh, I lost my little girl at Kalahari Resort one day do you know, and, uh, in, the, uh, in the arcade. We lost her for half an hour. And I was thinking the worst, and we finally found her. It's a long story. Many of you, I've shared this here before. But when, when she came back, do you know what? When she, when she came home, when she was actually found, do you know what we did is we, we wept and cried and embraced. We didn't go down. We didn't spank her. We didn't tell her how she's wrong. She was actually right. It's the staff at Kalahari that just jacked it all off, all right? So, but we just loved, we just loved on this girl. I, I need some soul care. I've still got some bitterness there, you know? So... <laughs> <laughs> I called him, uh, but uh, yeah. Um, but we, we, when we, listen, we got our girl back. We got our girl back. The father wants to throw a celebration right now. He's like, I got my girls back. I got my boys back. Kill the fattened calf. Put my ring on their finger. I've paid for it all to happen. They're not slaves and servants. They're sons and daughters. This, this is the meat of the gospel. So, so how about this? Why don't we just stand to our feet for one moment? And I'm not gonna have you walk an aisle. I wish you would. I, I wish, man, if you wanted Jesus and you just wanna lay on your face up here, man, I just wanna say, holy invitation to do that. You can do that all you want, all day. If you wanna kneel at your seat, if you wanna raise your hands, uh, I don't care about the expression. I care about faith in your heart. So, so Heavenly Father, we just come before you now. And we, we just want to say as a church, we want to say as individuals, we just want to know you. Can you tell that uh, to God maybe for the first time for some of us? We want you. We don't want to use you to get something we really want. You are the really want 
of our hearts. We were made by you and for you. And we want to reject everything else as periphery. It's sauce. We want you. We want you, Jesus. Father, we want to walk in your heart. We want to dance in your house. We want to belong as sons and daughters. And I just pray, God, that you would, you would uh, take people that feel so broken, that feel so messed up. They, they've made horrible decisions with their lives. They're making horrible decisions right now. They're standing next to people that they've made horrible decisions with. And I want you to take those people, God. I invite you to take those people and call them into your heart, which is far superior to every other thing. True repentance leading to a true encounter with the living God. This is not concept, this is reality, God. So I just pray right now, that, that people's hearts would encounter you. And for the first time, people would say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I recognize my sin was not underperforming. It was underperferring. And I just want to declare today to my own heart and everybody else that I just want you. I want the message of the cross. I want the message of the empty tomb, the resurrection. I want to live with you forever because you will be there. I trust you with my, my now, my past, my, my future, and my eternity. I trust you, God. God, save people. Call people home in these days. Let us truly be obsessed with you in mighty and powerful ways. And I pray all these things now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 